0: So you see today's title, if you're you're looking, it says God's judgment against Judah and Israel. So now it gets kind of home, close to home. Now here's the interesting thing. God had judged those pagan nations last week, the six surrounding nations. But now it moves home. Here's the interesting thing. Of all the things that, 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 I mean, like when you look in in chapter 1 at the six pagan nations and what they're being judged for, they basically were committing kind of crimes against humanity. But now you see that God's judgment comes on first Judah. And God's judgment on Judah doesn't seem to be something that's as heinous as what the other six nations had done. Or even as heinous as what Israel, the northern kingdom, has done. Judah, first that he judges here, it simply has to do that they just rejected God's word. Now, the interesting thing, like Judah, now, by the way, Judah had lots of those kind of sins, but the one that he mentioned specifically has to do with them rejecting God's word. Now, don't get me wrong. Judah was up to no good. They had lots of sins on the record. I mean, that's when you look in this text and he says in verse four, for three transgressions of Judah for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Remember, we said what God says it was saying that is you already had a lot of judgment coming with three, but the fourth, my, my judgment's overflowing. I'm not going to hold this back. But notice in the text, specifically, no one's being killed here that he's judging for. Or all the other things he could have judged them for. But in the text, he says, because they've rejected the law of the Lord. That's what he's judging them for right here. So what's interesting is this. Rejecting God's word leads you down a really serious rabbit hole. And the rabbit hole is bad. There's a saying, sin will take you further than you wanted to go cost you more than you are willing to pay and keep you longer than you are willing to stay. And what we see in the text today, I want you to follow this kind of rabbit hole, that God's judgment comes on His people and God's judgment comes on His people, starting with how they treated the Word of God and how they treat the Word of God dictates everything from there. And what you see in the text is because they rejected God's Word, there was a descent into sin and it got uglier and uglier and worse and worse. When we descend into sin, all we got to do is look at how we're treating God's word. I mean, like God's word will have everything to do with how we fight sin in our life. I've never met a Christian who fights sin well that doesn't read, study, meditate, pray on their on the scriptures. Never met that Christian. That Christian doesn't exist. So he starts off with Judah. Let's look at the text and kind of see what he what he has to say to them. He says right here in verse four. He says because they've rejected. The law of the Lord. Now, what's interesting, when you see that word law and you look at the Hebrew, that word law, it uses the word Torah, the word that we use to describe the first five books of your Old Testament. Um, I almost said Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books. And so what he's referencing when he says you've, you've, uh, you've rejected the law of the Lord, what he's saying is you've rejected God's word. For the Jewish people, God's word, these first five books were God's laws. It contained God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. It contained God's civil law, which was how their society was to be regulated under the one true God. And and then also it gave them the ceremonial laws, which was their sacrificial system. It was their feasts and festivals. They were all pointing forward to Christ. So God had given them his law The law of the Lord, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law that to guide Israel, to guide them as a nation, because this nation would someday bring forth the Messiah. So he had given them and it says in the text specifically that God's bringing judgment on them, not for all the things that he didn't mention, the three or four things, but one particular thing, because they have what? Rejected the law of the Lord. They've rejected God's word. And this is their judgment, rejecting him. Now, what's interesting is this word reject the rejecting the Torah, the first five books It was it was their kind of Bible. Now we have the completed word of God. But that word reject, when you look it up, it has this idea of you're rejecting something with contempt. So it wasn't just that, oh, they just didn't like it. They had contempt for it and they had contempt for it because God's way was not the way they wanted to go. God's thoughts were not their thoughts. What they wanted to do was bend God to their thoughts and will and They, that's why they rejected the law of the Lord. They didn't like what the law of the Lord had to say. The law of the Lord had things for them to do. The law of the Lord said that, that, that they had to be moral and upstanding. The law of the Lord said they couldn't commit adultery. The law of the Lord said you had to have a benevolent posture towards the, towards, towards, um, those that were poor. The law of the Lord had commanded them to take Sabbath rest. The law of the Lord had told them how to live life. Now, a lot of times when people see this word law, they look like, yeah. But the law is like a jail, man. It just kind of locks you up. And I know why they didn't like the law of the Lord, because that's what it's like. God's, the way, the way the, like the scriptures, God's law, it's just, it's like prison bars for your life. God's always trying to hold you back. But that's not true. All the laws that God gave to Old Testament Israel were not bars of, of prison. It was like traffic lights. Now, if we didn't have traffic lights, what do you think it'd be like going out today? I mean, if there were no traffic lights and you could just run through an intersection, I know you might be saying, like, I'd feel like I was in India. That's what I'd feel like if you've ever been there. But it'd be chaos. And the reason we have traffic lights is not to harm you or to try to catch you doing something wrong. Well, I guess unless you have lights now. We've kind of done that, haven't we? But the real reason for traffic lights is so that everything could be managed so that people could experience freedom and joy. And they could get from point A to point B and they could get home safe to their family. This is what's best for us. So we have traffic lights to guide us. That's what the law of the Lord was for Moses, for Israel. It was kind of like traffic lights for us. It helped to guide them, not because God wanted to lock them up, because God wanted to give them freedom. And God's God's, uh, pattern and design, that's where a person gets freedom. So for instance if you've if you've ever been through or you've ever had a friend or you've ever lived through like adultery like man that's like there's so like there's a reason why God puts that in there in the 10 commandments thou shalt not commit adultery because When that sin happens, it has so much cataclysm for relationships and everything around them. And like it never works out good for people. So like when God prohibits things in our life, it's not like he's putting us in some kind of chain. He's actually trying to give us freedom. He's actually saying like, listen, this is how you're actually going to experience the best. A covenant between a man and a woman and for life. And and like this this is how I've designed you to have freedom and joy. So they don't like God's law. They will reject it. They reject his word. Now, in our kind of current world, I think we reject God's word too as well. A lot of times I think we reject God's word for two reasons. One is we have a very inflated opinion of of what we think. And so I hear this all the time. I know what the Bible says, but this is what I think, right? I hear that all the time. I know what the Bible says, but this is what I think. That's a lot of times how we're making our decisions when this is how we're doing our own rejection of God's word. Also, um... Our current world is driven so much by feelings that sometimes I'll hear people say, I know what the Bible says, but this is the way I feel. And so what happens when we let our own opinions and our own feelings guide us, we're rejecting the law of the Lord. This is what they did. They didn't like what God had to, had them to do. But the great thing about it was God's laws were never to harm them. It was actually to help them. It was actually to help them. It was to give them freedom. It was the wonderful traffic lights that we use and need. So they reject him. And here's what happens when you reject him. Look at the next line. And have not kept his statutes. So if you look on your outline, there's probably a little page there in your seat. And you turn over the back, there's an outline. First, I just put, here's the the judgment. They rejected God's word. They rejected God's word. Now watch watch the pit that happens when we reject God's word. You see it, point number two. The results of rejecting God's word is there's no conformity to God's image. Look at look at the verse four, continue to look at it. And you have not kept his statutes. Everybody see that? And you have not kept his statutes. Everybody see that? Now what's interesting, that word kept has has this idea of to conform one's actions and practice, to conform one's actions and practice, right? This word statutes, when you look it up, it means prescription, rule, law, regulation. They've not kept his statutes. What it's basically kind of tells in the text is his statutes were kind of, this is God's law and the statutes were, this is how you're applying those laws. This is how you're obeying those laws. So what happened is because they rejected God's word, they rejected God's lifestyle for themselves. And all of a sudden their application, the statutes, all that God's law had said, they're not applying it to their life anymore. In fact, it says they've not kept it. They've not conformed their actions to it. So here's what happens. And it seems so subtle, but when we reject God's word, the next step is we start rejecting being conformed to his image. And this is what it means. They have not kept his statutes. They are not conforming themselves to his statutes, what his what the Mosaic law in all its form had said. They're not conforming their life and applying it to their life. Now and that may seem like well that doesn't seem like such a bad sin. Well, do you know all of life like when God saved you and I? He saved me at sixteen. And Romans 8 says that God saved me, and part of that process of him saving me is he is conforming me to the image of Christ. He's making me more like Jesus, right? So, like, if you're in life right now, and you're sacrificing a lot for people, or, man, you're just, like, in a difficult... Or, let's say you're in a relationship, and you're trying to reconcile as hard as you can, and, like, it's just not going easy. Listen, like, you could be... God could be using that conform you to his image, If you're in a a difficult work situation where you just kind of feel like, man, going into work each day, I feel like it's 21 Jump Street or like, man, this is like really difficult. Like God could be using that to conform you to his image. You get up for work tomorrow and you're thinking to yourself like, I don't know if my body's going to do this one more day. I just do not know if it's going to hold out. God could be using that to conform you to his image. But yet what happens with Israel is because they reject God's word, they don't keep his statutes. They They don't apply it to their life and they don't conform to his image. God had always designed Israel to be someone that conformed to what the one true holy God was like. By their lifestyle, obeying the Mosaic law was to show all the nations around what the one true God was like. At the same time, as they couldn't keep it because no man can be perfect, it showed them their sin and it would show them that they would one day need a savior. So what happened is they, they failed that test because when the savior came, by and large, Israel didn't accept him. God had a reason for his law. He had a reason for his word, but they did not keep it. So they didn't conform to his image. Number three, we see the results of them rejecting God's word is they believe lies. Look what it says in the text. So they didn't keep its statutes because they rejected God's word, but their lies have led them astray. So when we reject God's word, we don't conform to his image. We don't don't start living the way God designed us, the whole reason that, that he saved us. And then we start believing lies. And I'm going to tell you, when, you start, when we start believing lies, it goes really bad for our life. It goes bad for them. In a minute, we're going to see the lies that they believe. It starts to lead them down a pit of, of, of really bad things. There's lies I think we tell ourselves all the time. Lies I think we tell ourselves is, uh, I could never forgive them for what they did. I'm worthless to God. People owe me. This lie, I think we say sometimes, I can never change. That's not true. In Christ, you can change. I don't need people to worship God. You need people. I can never be forgiven by God. Sometimes people say that. These are lies we tell ourselves. And it all starts with rejecting God's word. And it's a, it's it's a slippery slope. Rejecting God's word. Now we're not conforming our life to his image. We're not applying his word to our life so we could be conformed to his image. This is what Israel's doing. Or Judah specifically. Now they're believing lies. Behold their lies. Now look at point number four. This is what happens. Now they wander from God. Their lies, in verse four, have led them astray. They're straying from God now. Now it's interesting. This, this word, their lies have led, that word led, when you look it up, it has this idea of wandering about. Like meandering away. So now they're wandering away from God because of the lies that they believe. It's led them astray. So this past uh, couple weeks ago, um, are y'all familiar with? Uh, he was a real popular pastor years ago, um, and um, his name is Josh Harris. How many of y'all know this guy or heard of this guy? Those guy, several so y'all know. So if you know the story, a couple weeks ago, Josh Harris came out and did like a, a public posting and said, "Hey, my wife and I are getting a divorce, and I'm no longer a Christian." You know. Now for those of you that know Josh Harris, I mean, he he actually he was he wrote this pivotal book um, as a 19 year old. Called "I Kiss, Date, and Goodbye." I would encourage you to read that book quickly because it's not going to be in print much longer. He's asked that his publishers, when the contract runs out, that that book would no longer be available for print. He, uh, and by the way, I've recommended that book tons of times. Still a good book to read, um, but he he rejects what he's written in that book. He wrote a book called "Sex Isn't the Problem, Lust Is." Great book. I I've hand that I've used that book many times when talking about lust. He says he doesn't believe that book. He asked that 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 book once the the publishing runs out on it, that that book wouldn't be reproduced anymore. Several other books. This guy was kind of one of the youngest megachurch pastors back in the day, and and very influential. A great writer. Come from a great homeschool family. I mean, like when you I've watched interviews with his parents, and you're just like these parents are uh, like these parents, we should all just sit at the feet of Josh Harris's parents and listen to them and do exactly what they do. I mean, like, it was amazing the insight of cultivating worship in the hearts of their kids. So it was amazing. So it comes from a great family. So here's a guy who, one of the most influential pastors in our country, a well-trusted author, well-trusted voice that today says, I no longer am a follower of Jesus. So how does that happen? Well, it's a, it's a small kind of dissent. It starts with rejecting God's word. It starts with saying, I know what God's word says, but this is what I think. And then it's a slow descent. Several years ago, he, he put out, he put out some, some information and said the books that I've written, I don't want them to be published anymore. He already said that way before this. Like, I don't believe the things that I've said anymore. And here was his reasoning. He said, I've interviewed several people who read my books and I see how it affected their life and I just don't think that's the way. That's the way it ought to be. So what happens is this: he, he writes things that are true to God's word, but then people begin to. He begins to listen to the lies that people say, rejects God's word. God's word embraces what man says, and before you know it, there's a dissent that happens. That now his marriage is over, and now he is a, is declares himself not to be a believer. Hebrews says he probably fits in the qualification of an apostate, which means like that's going to be hard for him to come back. It's, it's, it doesn't look very good. How does that happen? Rejecting God's word. Rejecting God's word as the final authority for our life. Israel had done it. And, and look what happens. So not only are they being led astray, but this is heartbreaking. Look at verse 4, the end of verse 4. Number 5, the results of rejecting God's word, a negative influence on our children. So only when we reject God's word do we uh, are we not being conformed to God's image? We start believing lies, we we um, we we start to be led astray. But also it affects our children. Look what he says in verse four: these things are happening. You reject God's word, you're going you're going astray. Those after which your fathers walked. So here's interesting: they rejected God's word, but they were just doing what they had saw their daddy do. Isn't that amazing? That what we do as fathers has a direct impact on 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 our kids. You know what the, the two hardest things as a parent, one of the two hardest things as a parent is if your children go to glory before you. That's hard. That's one of the hardest things a parent will ever, ever have to face. And number two will be if if your kids walk in the same sins that you have. Those are two hardest things I think for parents to kind of kind of reconcile. And this didn't happen. I mean, right here, these men are, these people are walking in what their fathers did before them, and it all descended with rejecting God's word. This is what happens when we decide that we are the final authority and not not God's word is the final authority. Let's keep looking at the descent. Here's the descent. The rabbit hole keeps going further. Number six on your outline, the results of rejecting God's word, they get Babylonian judgment in verse 5, he says, So I will send a fire upon Judah. It shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. So this southern kingdom of Judah will eventually, in 586, go into Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar will come in. He will destroy, he will burn the temple, the palace, the houses. And he'll deport almost, almost the entire population to Babylon. That's where you can read the book of Daniel and see that happening. And what is this? This is because of their own sin. And where did their sin start? Rejecting God's word. Rejecting God's word, which I know is kind of this thought. I know what kind of church we are. I know what kind of people we are. Like, I I would scarcely say there'd be anybody in here would just stand up and go like, I reject God's word. Like, that's, (laughs) that's probably not gonna happen, right? But I do know this. I think the word of God doesn't get cracked open a lot in some of our lives. I think it's not a priority. And I've learned this in my own life. When God's word is not a priority, I'm one step away from rejecting it because when it's not a priority when I'm not filling my soul with God's word when I'm not when I'm not treating it like like I got to eat I got to eat this word then I'm not ready when like the onslaughts of my own depravity and Satan's attack come in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm living off of my opinions and not God's opinions. I'm living, I'm starting to live for lies. And then only that, I start to tell myself lies. I start to believe things that aren't even true. I even do stupid things like I base my significance and my worth on what people think about me instead of what God thinks about me through the work of the cross. I do all sorts of stupid things, right? Y'all know nothing about that, right? It all starts with the word of God. So here's the descent. I mean, they're descending. Now, now we go over to Israel. So Israel, the northern kingdom. uh, If you look at the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, um, the northern kingdom. I mean, both are acting sinful, but the northern kingdom seems to go like epically harder than what Judah does. But the northern kingdom had just the same access to the law of God. And but we see that they had already given up on the law of God a lot stronger and harder than Judah So now watch the descent, even the northern kingdom, Israel, what's their descent and descent? It's even seems to go even further, but it all starts with the word of God. And and so know this, when God judges Judah right here about the word, he's also judging Israel about that as well, because when you look over here in chapter three, you find that God actually addresses both nations in chapter three and says, listen, you shouldn't have been doing this like you had the word of God, you had the covenants, like you knew better than this, so. The descent of Judah is indicting to Israel as well. And watch where Israel goes. Look in verse 6. So here's Israel. They're going down. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke punishment. Once again, man, you've got a lot on your plate, guys, Israel. I mean, there's so much judgment. There's so much sin that you've done. My wrath will not be held back from you. Now, what's interesting is this. Everybody else up to this point had kind of been... Named out for one sin. Although they had many sins. It seems like God really was just focusing one sin. On the pagan nations and even on Judah. But Israel here. Of which this book is primarily addressed to. Has multiple sins that he's addressing in this. And these sins are heinous. These are kind of like the biggest sins outwardly. That you and I can do. Now there's these sins that we have in the heart. We sometimes think of them as respectable sins. Like okay. I'm not out killing anybody. But I hate everybody around me. Like it's hard for for people to see that hate. So it kind of is in our soul. Sometimes we put up with it and think it's respectable, right? Because we're not actually out murdering people, which everybody would notice. But here's what happens. I mean, they're so wicked. Their rejection of God's word. You start to see the outward manifestation and it's brutal. And two things in our life, I think, even in, in my own life, when we're rejecting God's word, like the descent, like from inwardly, outwardly, like things start to get compromised in our world. I think the two areas that you, we can see as God's people, like huge compromises, like we're going down the pit of immorality is how we treat the poor or people that are disadvantaged and what we do with sexual sin. Like those are the two, I mean, like if you want to see like, have I rejected God's word in my life See how you treat people who can't do anything for themselves and see how you battle lust. And those two areas let you know, have you rejected God's word or not? Watch with Israel, this is what they're doing. So he says in verse six, is everybody still with me? Don't y'all like the book of Amos? Isn't it great? So I told someone this past week, they said, hey, what are you preaching on in your church? And I said, uh, we're preaching through the minor prophets. And they were like, ooh, really? Like, that's a lot of judgment. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a lot of judgment, you know. So we're no one's fired me yet. So we'll see how this keeps going. So he says in verse 6, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Now this is difficult to understand. If you've read Amos, you've probably read this and just like, man, I don't really understand what's going on here Point number seven on your outline. This is another result of rejecting God's word. And look, it gets worse. This is how sin starts. It seems respectable at first, but then it just gets worse and worse. Where I told you, sin will cost you more than you are willing to pay. Keep. Well, I don't know. Sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay. Take you further than you're willing to go and keep you longer than you were ever willing to stay. Like, this is what sin does, right? Remember, it kind of looks kind of innocent at first. Like, okay, they're rejecting God's word. Okay, so they're not conforming to Yahweh's image. Okay, I get it. Oh, well, they're believing some lies. Oh, I get it. Oh, okay, they're being led astray. Okay, they're not setting good example for their family. Okay, I get it. Man, that's bad, but it's not the worst. I mean, maybe it's just going to stop with their, you know, as long as they just don't go too bad past that. You know, I guess I can deal with this idea of, like, I'm not leading my family well. And, yeah, I'm believing lies. I'm believing lies about, about myself. And, I'm, uh, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm not living fully like Jesus. Like, you know, Lord, help me. This is okay, right? That, that's where we think a lot of times, right? It won't stop there. Sin always costs more. And it always go further. And it always keeps you longer than you're willing to stay. So it descends. Watch the descent that Israel goes into. Israel's piggybacking off Judah here, right? So when God's judging Judah, he's judging Israel. They're they're both still gods. They're still God's people who have his word, who know his law. So what you see, number seven, is they commit social injustices towards the poor. It says because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Let me break this down. Because they sell the righteous for silver. So there's two things that interpreters look at this, and it could be either or, but what looks like is, they sell the righteous for silver. The righteous would be someone who's in a right position. And many interpreters have said what's happening is. What, so in, in Israel, when you became indebted, like when you got came into poverty and you could not help yourself. It was not uncommon that someone in Israel would actually loan you the money to kind of help you out. Or, or you would mortgage, you would kind of mortgage your land so they could give you the resources. Sometimes you would actually be kind of an indentured servant to them. Or sometimes you, you might give them something small so until you pay off that debt. But the way God designed it, and we don't have time, but I want you to go back sometime and look at Deuteronomy 15. Uh, what time do we have right now? 14? I got 14 minutes. I might be able to actually read this, so I may, may not have to do that. God had a very, actually do this. This isn't going to make sense unless you get to read it. Hold your place there and just go over to Deuteronomy. I want to read something for you. You just got to read this. So God had a, in his law, this was how Israel was to treat its poor people, right? The poor widow, the poor person, the person that come on hard times. Like this is how the benevolent policy that they are supposed to have towards each other now Israel because they had punted and rejected God's word and they weren't conforming to God's image they were believing lies right you get it the dissent, now they're not obeying they're not obeying him in this way and it was it was being perverse right there's a reason why Solomon could build so much he was building on the backs of poor people right what what was one of the reasons i think God David was a man after God's own heart well David had a very benevolent posture towards the poor right So look right here in verse fifteen, chapter fifteen. Look at there. This is how it's supposed to work in in Israel society. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. This is Deuteronomy fifteen. Are y'all with me? Are y'all okay with reading the Bible in church? Y'all okay with that? All right. Yeah. uh, No. To just chapter fifteen, verse one. Chapter fifteen, verse one. At the end of every seven years, this is how they treat the poor. You shall grant a release. And in this manner of the release, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. So if your neighbor was in need, was in poverty, and you could lend, you lent to him. And and if he paid you back, ducky. If he didn't pay you back at the seventh year, it was released, okay? All debt was released. How would you like that today, right? (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Cancel the mortgage. He shall not exact of it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed, look at that. So that was their. You loan to the guy to help him out, and and by the way, I'm not talking about always just hey, let me just give you this. If like the guy could work, you're giving him a loan to fl- so he can go back to work and he can pay back. That was that was the goal. But still, if if you didn't get paid back in the in the, the the seventh year of rest came and all the debts were, were canceled, you were to still be happy about that because that's the Lord providing. Now watch this. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever is yours is with your brother. Your hand shall release it. So this was among Israel society. Verse four. But there will not be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandment that I command you today for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers shall become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against his poor brother. Like you don't you don't walk around and go like get a job, right? I can remember that when I became a new Christian, I was riding around with a with a man who was a Christian, an older gentleman in my church, and he pulled, I remember him rolling down his window when someone was, now I get some people who are asking for money or just swindling people, I get it, right? But he rolls down his window and, and yells out, get a job, bum, and rolls up his window and takes off, right? That's the opposite of the heart that God's describing here. But you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. So he's just saying, even if the seventh year is coming close, don't shut your heart towards him. Be compassionate towards him. Ask the Lord what you can do and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother. I have to say, don't you struggle with that? I do sometimes. Like, why'd you get into this? What'd you do wrong? Why are you, why are you burdening me with your, with your poverty when, when I went to work? Do You understand the heart of this, right? You shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. This is God's like like posture, like be want to give to them, want to be generous, like do this, like loan them the money. The seventh year, if they don't have it paid back, release the debt. Look, this is a very benevolent policy. Verse 12, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman is sold to you. So this would be someone who had a really, really large debt that they they couldn't pay back. So they, they had to put themselves in indentured servitude, which there were. It's not the same as the slavery that we had in America, chattel slavery, totally different. Like it was, it was a very benevolent policy in Israel. It was a way that you could, could work off your large debt. <laughs> look at how benevolent this is. If your brother, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, so they must have a large debt, they shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let them go free. Sounds still great. It's still how it works. But look at that on top of this. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go what? Ha ha ha! You were to give him some seed money, some seed. You were to like the blessing. So like he's starting over, but you're like to get like, I mean, if it isn't enough that it's like, man, I didn't get the full value of my debt. I let him go. I also got to send him down the road with stuff. Right. How boss is that? Don't y'all wish we, we lived in Israelite society? Like, man, what a blessing. Okay. So this is some of the posture of how you treat the poor. But they rejected God's word. It seemed innocent at first. Then it descends and descends. Like sin costs you more than you're willing to pay, take you further than you're willing to go, and keep you longer than you were willing to stay. Like this is what sin does. So watch what they're doing now. Now you're ready. Y'all ready? Now you're ready to read this. Look over here in verse, um, should be verse six. Because they sell the righteous for silver. So what happens is this. The righteous are those who are trying to make payment back for what they've borrowed but they don't want to wait, and they go ahead and slap them in some kind of indentured servitude. Like it's it's a payable debt, but they don't care because they're going to try to make money off of them. They loan them, but they loan them in such a way that they're going to take advantage of them and not let them pay it back in a timely manner. It says, and the needy for a pair of sandals. So uh, sometimes a poor person would offer up something as kind of collateral that I'm going to pay you back. So something like sandals is small, it's payable back, but it says that because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, someone had used something small, like the collateral of their shoes weren't weren't being given the ability to pay it back and were being slapped in in, in servitude. Even some commentators said, since the people with money have money and the people that don 't have money, they were taking them to the civil courts and you kind of know like like, I love our justice system, but it still exists that the people who have more money tend to get a better fair shake in the justice system than the people without money, right? That just, it, it kind of still happens that way. So this was happening that the rich were taking the poor and making profit off of them and making lots off of them. And it says in verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, this turn aside has this idea of discouraging them. So what we have is this we see the result of God rejecting God's word that there's now social injustice towards the poor in Israel. This is the dissent. Like they're not caring for the poor as God designed in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. They're actually taking advantage of the poor. They're actually profiting off the poor. This is the dissent that happens. And by the way, I know you may be saying, well, you know what? I don't take advantage of the poor. I don't do anything to them. Well, yeah, but what's our heart like towards them? I mean do we ever just like not care or do we ever kind of say like, man, I'm tired of people with poverty and like, "Man, I'm like, do you ever get kind of like frustrated? Like, God, I hate that I have to think about this or I hate, I mean, like, have you ever went the opposite way and said, Lord, I don't know what I can do right now, but Lord, would you speak to me about it? Like, have you ever just given, uh, with a begrudging heart? And by the way, that does always mean just giving. That means, like, in there, it was a lot of times it was a loan. You know, one of the greatest ways to actually give to the poor is not just to always just give money, but it's like try to find some way to employ them or some way to give them a job. I know at this point, some may say, well, like, what if, what if they sue me? Like, okay, so they sue you, but guess what? They probably don't have any resources, anyways, to sue you, right? So they're not going to be lawyered up very well, anyways. And by the way, if the worst thing in life that happens to you is someone's going to sue you, so what, right? I don't know about you, but I've not seen I've not seen a U-Haul following a hearse, right? I've never seen that. I've never i never seen like Orion Federal Credit Union like dragged behind someone's someone's coffin. Not going to happen. Like you probably weren't going to check you weren't going to check out of here with anything anyway. So, like like don't be afraid of that kind of thing. That's what people say all the time. I mean like I mean sometimes even when you you do give to people who are in poverty. Sometimes it's easier just to even give money just so that you can walk forward and just not do anything. But sometimes it takes effort to actually say, I'm going to get to know this person. And you know what? I'm not going to give them money, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take them to, to get some clothes, and I'm going to run them to a job interview, and I'm going to try to actually make a way that I can actually help them in the end, not just hurt them. And that is terribly inefficient for our life that is all made to just swing through a, a fast food joint and get our dinner in five minutes, right? I know that doesn't work with our philosophy, but that's what Israel was doing. That's where sin goes. It descends where those who are impoverished, poverty can't even take care of themselves. No one cares. And in fact, they're, they're taking advantage of them. Now look what happens. Next, there's a descent into sexual sin. Which I'll say, if you look at our country, I, I don't think our country has a benevolent policy towards poverty. Actually, when you look at kind of our country, I think we, it has an entrapping political kind of system for poverty. Even God's people, I think, are scared of poverty. Like, we're scared to even get our our hands dirty with it. But watch the next descent. It says in verse 8, actually, I'm sorry, in the middle of verse 7, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. So the next kind of slide result of rejecting God's word, you've got sexual sin. And like, how bad can sexual sin get That seems really, really bad. That a father and son will be going into the same prostitute. I mean, what kind of discipleship had that father had to have that that can even happen, that can even go about? This is how far sin takes you. It starts small. Okay, I don't like what God's word says. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do it. I have my own way. This is what I think. Okay, I, I can... Okay, I'm not going to be conformed to his image as a result. I can live with that. Okay, I'm going to start believing some lies. I can live with that. Okay, my kids are going to see a bad example. Okay, I can, I can live with that. It's just a further descent. Sin costs you more than you're willing to pay, take you further than you're willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to say. This is what sin does. By the way, um, this area of sexual sin, you know I love that when the Bible describes sexual sin, it uses the word pornea, sexual immorality. It's a junk drawer word, meaning it's not a junk drawer like it's bad. It's a junk drawers and everything flows into that. Like, what is sexual immorality? Anything that's not in the covenant of marriage between a biological man and biological woman. Any sex outside of that is, is, is considered sexual immorality. Anything is considered sexual sin outside of that. You mean like, I, I mean, I'm not going to have to describe because I, I have some look we see, I see kids in here. Anything outside of that, between a husband and wife, is sin. So yes, third base in a dating relationship is sin. All right? But you get me, right? I mean, like, anything else. I know you even say, like, Nick, why do you even have to say that kind of stuff? Because I cannot tell you how many Christians who are dating... Think that everything's okay as long as we don't have sex organ to sex organ contact, like, like God's, like we're still we're still technically on the righteous. No, you're not. You're not. That's a junk drawer word, right? Anything outside of that between a husband and wife in the covenant of marriage is sin. That goes from from pornography to masturbation to anything in between, not in the confines of marriage. Now, I say all that to say this. Because that kind of sin has a direct thing that's so damaging. Look what happens in that verse. So my what? My holy name is profaned. By the way, this is one sexual sin. You know why sexual sin hurts so bad? Because it really profanes the holiness of God. It really does. Man, it just... This is why, like, of all the sins that when people get into, they, like, feel heavy in conviction... This one does, but there's a reason. It profanes the name of God. It profanes his name. It doesn't make much of his name. And just so you know, this is a descent. So it just started with like, so like, for instance, I've, I've, I mean, I've been around enough men, I've been around a lot of men and like, I cannot tell you how many men have, have, have said this thing to me before of like, you don't understand, Nick, I've got needs, like, you don't understand, like. There's things that I want, and as long as I'm not hurting anybody, like, it's okay, right? You know what that man has done? He's rejected God's word, because God's word says husband, wife, covenant of marriage, that's it. And he said, I'm going to choose my own way. And before you know it, he's descending. Okay, look at verse 8. All right, y'all still with me? Y'all love Amos? Any amens for Amos? (laughs) Some amens or some oh-me's? All right. Up, oh, my time's up. Let's end. Okay, uh, I'll end it here. So look at this. So next, you see this: the result of rejecting God's word. Um, they abuse. They abuse the collateral for the poor. So sometimes, remember, they take collateral from the poor just as a way that they work honestly. But God regulated that. So if you were to take collateral. You weren't to, like for instance, you weren't to take their millstone because they needed to work and grind grain. Or you couldn't take the cloak of a poor man and have it overnight. You couldn't take a widow's garment. And what, look what happens in the text of verse 8. They lay themselves down beside every altar on gourmet, garments taken in pledge. and the house of their God, they drink the wine of those that have been fined. So what happened is the the rich were taking the collateral from the poor. Even taking collateral that they weren't supposed to take all right, like from the poor guy, he needed he needed some covering at night for sleep, and then they were basically going to the pagan temples and like drinking it up and like falling asleep and like laying those down at the altar, just like like just epically going wrong. And you're like, man, how could they do that? Well, because it all started with rejecting God's rejecting God's word. Now, here's the thought, man, Nick, they sunk so low. What in the world do we do? Like, oh, like they sunk so low. Like, what do they do now? We'll, we'll look what happens. When you sink low, when you reject God's word, when you're far from him, like, how do I get back? What do I do to get back? You've got to remind yourself of God's glorious redemption. Look what happens in verse 9. So he's telling them all this. Now look what he says in verse 9. Oh, man, this is great. Points us right back to the gospel. So Amos says to them, this is what God says. Yet it is I who destroyed the Amorite before you. When they, they came into the land, God destroyed the Amorites whose height was like the heights of cedars, who was as strong as oaks. I destroyed the fruit above and the roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. It is not, Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Like, how do they find their way back? Redemption. When you look at them being delivered from Egypt, God had redeemed them by his own strong hand and brought them out. What's God pointing us back to in this? I believe we have a, a, a picture of the gospel here that God's redemption is what brings us back. What brings us back from sin? Remembering that he has brought us back from sin by his own sacrifice on the cross. What brings me back to the word of God is the thankfulness of remembering what Jesus has done for me. What is Amos trying to point to them? He's trying to say, listen, you didn't beat the Amorites. Yahweh built the Amorites, and you didn't leave Egypt. Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. And what's God saying to God's people, us? You didn't bring yourself out from sin. Jesus brought you out from sin. And you don't keep yourself from sin. Jesus keeps you from sin. Do you see the gospel in this? Like, how do you get back? You remember the gospel. That's what he's trying to get across. And if they don't, here's what happens. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of cheese presses down. That's the judgment that's coming for them. If they don't repent, flight shall perish from the swift. In verse 14, the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. Judgment will happen for them. He who handles the bow shall not stand and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. All the strength that they think they have, all their wealth, all their military might is nothing before the Lord's judging hand. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in the day. No courage for these warriors. If they didn't repent, Assyrian Syrian Syrian empire was going to come after them. And in the end they did. Because they never heeded God's word. They rejected him. They never took what Amos had to say here and go, go back and remember redemption. What motivates me to repent of sin and come back to his word? Like this descent of what sin does? remembering the gospel. We never graduate from it. What keeps me going? It's Jesus. What he's done and what he's doing, this is what delivers us back. This is why we never stop talking about what Jesus has done. This is our our prize, our goal, our joy. Y'all get it? Do you get it? Do you see the, the gospel message? Do you see the thread, the scarlet thread that runs behind this? It's always been about the gospel. Would you stand with me? Lord, thank you that we could... Look in your word and see ourselves. I see us in the story of Judah. I see us in the story of Israel. I see. I see the things they do, the things that we do. Let us, as you delivered them from the the Amorites, you delivered them from Egypt, you have delivered us by your own life. Let us live in light of that. Let that be what we glory and enjoy in. Bring us back to your word for your glory to make much of your holy name among the nations. God's people said, let's worship together. Stand to your feet.